Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I can't believe we're halfway through December. Sure, I'm writing this the week before Thanksgiving, but that's not when it drops. (laughs) I'm working to get my backlog built back up, so I'm starting to write farther and farther out. Uh, Nevertheless, the soonest you are hearing this is December. And whenever it is that you get around to this episode, I'm glad that you're here. Today is another Euripides episode, um, but I have good news. This is practically a comedy, at least as far as Euripides is concerned. Uh, Today's play is Iphigenia in Taurus, or maybe Iphigenia among the Taurians, or Iphigenia and Taurois, if we go with the original Greek title that I undoubtedly butchered the pronunciation of. My ancient Greek is not very good. Um, Euripides wrote two plays about Iphigenia. Um, This is the earlier of the two as far as his writing is concerned, but chronologically it comes after the ones that he wrote later. Um, Kind of like when we saw with Sophocles that he wrote Antigone um, before he wrote Oedipus Rex, even though chronologically Antigone, the events come after. Um, So the events of Iphigenia in Taurus come after Iphigenia and Aulis, um, but this play was written first. So Iphigenia in Taurus. You should remember Iphigenia, although we have never met her before. Um, she is the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra, the one that Agamemnon murdered so that the Greeks could launch their thousand ships to go off and sack Troy. Or did he? Yes, this play takes place after those events, and we'll see that it's possible that Iphigenia did not actually die, all of which will be explained in the prologue when we get to the summary. This play premiered around 413 BCE. It is set, as you can probably guess, in Taurus, Um, and this is a city in what we would now call Crimea. Um, So it's on the Black Sea, which is a good distance from the Aegean, Um, And this means that the Taurians that Iphigenia is now living among are barbarians. Ooh, they don't speak Greek. They're also pretty savage, as we will again see. Um, Most of the characters should be familiar to you. Iphigenia, of course, is our lead character. Um, And once again, we will see Orestes and his BFF Pilates, who actually gets to talk in this play. He gets lines. Yay! Um, And of course, you know, Athena. Um, The only other named character is Thoas, the king of Taurus. Um, There are the usual assortment of messengers, servants, and rustics, and the chorus is comprised of captive women. Uh, They're Greek, but exactly who they are isn't clear, and I will go into more detail on that in the analysis section. The play takes place not too long after the Trojan War has ended, Um, And that all depends on how long it is between the time that Clytemnestra murders Agamemnon and Orestes murders Clytemnestra. Um, Time gets a little wibbly-wobbly or Jeremy-baramy if you look too hard at chronology in Greek mythology, so you should probably just go with it. Um, don't, Don't think too hard about it. So with that background, we'll take a short break before coming back for the summary.
play opens on the Temple of Artemis in Taurus. Iphigenia enters and provides the prologue. Pelops had a son named Tantalus, and his son was Atreus, and his sons were Menelaus and Agamemnon, and she, Iphigenia, is the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. And Agamemnon killed her so that he and his brother could go attack Troy, all because of Helen. Or so he thought. Here's how he did it. He told Clytemnestra that he'd arranged for Iphigenia to be married to Achilles. Odysseus fetched her from the palace, and together, Odysseus and Agamemnon sacrificed her. But at the last minute, Artemis snatched her away and transported her to Taurus. This has turned out to be a mixed blessing. I mean, she's alive, which is good. But Thoas, the king of Taurus, is not just a barbarian. He's a savage, and the cult of Artemis in Taurus demands the sacrifice of every Greek who lands on their shores. And the priestess forced to oversee these sacrifices? Yep, Iphigenia. Having provided that background information, Iphigenia goes on to speak of this dream that she had. She was back in her childhood bedroom, back in Mycenae, and there was this earthquake, and she ran outside, just escaping the palace as it collapsed. But she was still a priestess um, and threw holy water on the pillars as if she were anointing the building in preparation for sacrifice. And she thinks she knows what this means. Somehow, she has killed her little brother Orestes. Her uncle Strophius didn't have any children when everyone thought she died, so she knows of no other male relatives that it could be. She decides she should pour out a libation to her dead brother and wonders where the chorus could be because she'd like their help with the ritual. Despite the opportunity for a perfectly timed theatrical entrance, the chorus does not appear, so Iphigenia goes back into the temple. Orestes and Pilates enter. Remember that Uncle Strophius? Uh, Yeah, he had a son after Iphigenia was swept away to Taurus, and that would be Pilates. So Orestes and Pilates aren't just BFFs, they're cousins. Um, They discuss the scene and how it looks like a place where sacrifices are made, and Pilates decides to go and investigate. While Pilates is doing that, either in the background or offstage, I kind of like the vision of him just like clamoring around all over the set as Orestes is is monologuing, but Orestes prays to Apollo. He is still being tormented by the Furies, even though he's already been found not guilty in the court of Athenian law. So this play takes place after the events that we saw in Aeschylus when we read the Eumenides. Um, And so apparently, according to, to this story from Euripides, apparently only some of the Furies decided to become the Eumenides and take up residence in Athens. Um, Some, on the other hand, are still chasing Orestes around. But Apollo told Orestes that if he goes to Taurus and takes the effigy of Artemis from the temple to return it to Greece, then his penance will be fulfilled and the Furies will finally leave him alone. And so that is how Orestes and Pilates have wound up in Taurus. They are after the statue of Artemis in the temple where Iphigenia is now the priestess. Um, By this point in his monologue, uh, Pilates has sauntered back and Orestes asks him how they are supposed to get the statue out of the temple. Pilates says that they should probably just go and hide in a cave somewhere away from their ship in case anyone has noticed that they've landed and come back when it's dark instead of trying to steal the statue in broad daylight. 
And Orestes agrees that this is probably a good plan, and they exit. The chorus finally enters. They sing about how they are captured slaves and how they miss Greece um, before calling out to Iphigenia to ask what it was that she wanted a scene ago. <laughs> Iphigenia enters and tells them about her dream and her interpretation of it. With a little help from the chorus, she pours out libations of wine, milk, and honey, and then she goes through the story she told in the prologue, again, just in case you arrived after the show started. Um, and this is an extended monologue, ending with her mourning for Orestes, who was just a baby when she last saw him. The chorus leader sees someone coming, and an unnamed herdsman enters. He tells Iphigenia that two new Greeks have been captured and are being brought for sacrifice. One is called Pilates, but he's not sure the name of the other. They tried to hide, but this boy was collecting seashells um, and saw them. So our speaker and his companions went to capture these strangers, and the weirdest thing happened. One of them ran out of the cave and started crying out to Pilates about how he could see her and she was trying to kill him and there was no way he could escape. I mean... There was nothing there. Dude was seeing things. And then he started going after the cattle. And well, I mean, that was a step too far. Herdsmen have one job, and that's to protect the herd. So protect the herd they did. Eventually, the stranger's spell passed, and he and Pilates tried to fight back, but they were outnumbered and were ultimately captured. He exits to go bring the two men to be sacrificed. Iphigenia tells the chorus how much she hates her lot in life. If only Zeus had let the winds blow, she would never have wound up in Taurus. And she has another flashback to when her father sacrificed her. She pulls herself back together and tells the chorus that she can't believe that Artemis really demands the sacrifices given to her, and she exits into the temple. The chorus sings about what leads men to voyage to Crimea only to find their deaths. And they sing about how they really wish Helen would make that voyage, too. But more than anything, they wish someone would rescue them and return them to their homes in Greece. The herdsman returns, along with Orestes and Pilates and a bunch of extras. Iphigenia enters from the temple. She directs her attendants to prepare everything inside before questioning the captives. She devises a plot whereby she will send a letter home. She'll sacrifice one of the men, but let the other escape with the letter. She originally plans to sacrifice Pilates, but Orestes insists that he should be the one to die so that Pilates can go back to his wife, um, who you may recall is Electra. Over the course of their conversation, debate, discussion, whatever you want to call it, Iphigenia eventually discovers that Orestes is right there, so she doesn't need to send him a letter, and Orestes discovers that his big sister is not, in fact, dead. They both greet this discovery with a great deal of joy and decide to come up with a new plot through which they will liberate both the statue of Artemis and Iphigenia. And Iphigenia is the one to figure out how to do it. She describes the plot and they carry it out to the letter. Here's how it works. She tells Thoas that the captives have touched the statue, defiling it because they are not just Greeks. They are murderers, which is totally true. In Euripides' Electra, you'll recall that both men participate in the murder of Clytemnestra. They both have blood on their hands. And now they've touched the statue. This, is, this just cannot be. So now Iphigenia needs to perform purification rites of the statue and the two captives. And it's the only way that they can then go ahead with the sacrifice. 
Um, but she really needs to use seawater to perform the purification. So she needs to take the statue and the two men down to the shore. Thoas goes along with all of this because what he really cares about is the sacrifice. And if this is what needs to happen, then by all means, that's what Iphigenia should do. He goes into his palace next to the temple while Iphigenia, the statue, Orestes, and Pilates all exit. Now, okay, if you're wondering when Thoas entered, you're right. I totally glossed over that scene because the whole discovery letter plotting section um, takes about three scenes for all of that to happen. Um, and this will be an incredibly long episode if I go into all of that detail of what happens in each each one of those scenes. We'll just say Orestes and Iphigenia talk a lot. They speak in pages in this play. Um, back to the play. The chorus sings a song in praise of Apollo. A messenger enters and tells the chorus that the three have escaped and taken the statue with them. And the chorus just stares at him. He asks if they aren't going to tell Thoas about it. And they just stare at him. And finally, the messenger mutters something about how if you want a job done right, you have to do it yourself. And he calls to Thoas, who enters. Thoas is furious and tells the messenger to go after them. The messenger insists that they tried, but they were outmatched, and it seemed kind of like Artemis was on the side of the escapees. Uh, Thoas is furious and tells the chorus that they will suffer for their part in the plot. And that's when Athena enters and tells Thoas to can it. And then she gives instructions to everyone, even if they aren't on stage. Orestes is to go to Halle and build a new temple to Artemis there for her statue. And Iphigenia will be the priestess at a shrine to Artemis and Brauron and live out her days there. And Thoas is to free the chorus. And Thoas knows better than to argue with Athena. Athena exits to keep guard over the statue of Artemis. The chorus sings in praise of Athena and the play ends. is a nice little surprise from Euripides. You know how Euripides is such a dark playwright, so you have to wonder how this play could possibly have a happy ending, and and then it does. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the sacrifi- sacrifice of Iphigenia that led to her being whisked off to Taurus, um, because the sacrifice is the subject of that other play um, about Iphigenia by Euripides, Iphigenia at Aulis. Um, so I'm going to save that topic until we get to that play. It's um, It was actually produced posthumously, so it will be the last Euripides play that we cover in, in Greek. It's the last play in our Greek tragedies course. Um, anyway, but that's not where we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> we still have we still have more depressing Euripides to get through. But today's happy Euripides, right? Um uh, anyway, so I, I, I'm i going to save a lot of talking about the sacrifice until later. But um, but given how Iphigenia speaks and the weirdness that is Taurus, the savagery of it, um, this play has a very liminal feel to it. So I do have to ask... Um, is Iphigenia really alive, or or is Taurus some sort of in between place, a liminal place, like a um, limbo of sorts? She's not necessarily dead, um, but 
but she isn't really alive either, uh, at least not until Orestes comes and provides an avenue for her to escape back into life, back to Greece. Um, and the character, if, if oh, Iphigenia is awesome in this play. She is clearly suffering from PTSD. Um, <laughs> she speaks of the sacrifice over and over in which she does. It is as though she is reliving it. Um, but, but despite that, um, despite this hanging over her head, she is, she is very clever. Um, it's, it's not so much that Orestes and Pilates rescue her. She rescues them. She contrives the plot, um, not them. And, And now she is the oldest. Maybe it's an oldest child thing. I don't know. I'm an I'm I'm a youngest child, so I don't know what it's like to be an oldest child. Um, maybe it's that she's determined that she can't trust anyone other than herself. Um, I mean, think about her own father tried to kill her. So, as much as she may love baby brother, you know, can she really trust him to come up with a plot, especially as he's being chased by these furies, right? Um. So she's a great, she is a wonderful character. I I, I really like her in this play. Um, now, um, I know I said I wasn't going to spend much time on the sacrifice of Iphigenia, but I, I do want to do a little comparative mythology uh, because there are two biblical stories about sacrificing children. Um, the most famous, or more famous, I just say, the more famous of the two is probably that of Abraham and Isaac, um, in which God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son and then spares the boy at the last minute. Um, the big difference between that story and Iphigenia's is that Agamemnon doesn't know that his daughter has been spared. Um, he is convinced that he has killed his daughter, and more importantly, Clytemnestra is convinced that this has happened, um, which is why in some ways it's closer to the other story from the Bible, um, the story of Jephthah, Um and where I, as a Shakespeare nerd, where I best know this from is from Hamlet. Oh, oh, um, what does Hamlet say? Oh, Jephthah, judge of Israel, what treasure hadst thou? And Polonius asks, what treasure had he, my lord? And, and Hamlet answers, why, one fair daughter and no more, the which he loved the passing well. Um, and Hamlet is comparing Ophelia to the daughter of Jephthah. Um, and, and that daughter is um, the one that Jephthah, this unlucky man, is forced to sacrifice. Because unlike Isaac, God does not see fit to send a ram to be sacrificed in her place. Um, having studied uh, women in, in religion um, in Judeo-Christianity, that's another podcast that I could go into about the role of women in the Bible and biblical mythology versus, yeah, that's another podcast. Iphigenia is, however, similar to that daughter. She is the unlucky sacrifice. And as far as her family knows, she is not spared by the gods. Um, so Iphigenia's story is almost, we almost see a combination of these two biblical stories. Now, if I had done a little bit more research when I was writing this, I could have told you chronologically um, around the time that those two stories appeared in um, in the Bible and Middle Eastern mythology and when this Greek myth came into being. Clearly, they have similar threads, whether or not they have similar source material. 
Um, anyway, an interesting question, though. Moving moving back to just if Nanaya Taurus, we're done talking about the sacrifice. An interesting question to ask is who exactly is the chorus? They are Greek captives. We know that. That is clearly stated. But from where? I mean, Greece is... Greece is not just one one little spot. It's it's this whole disparate collection of city states and islands and um, kingdoms, if you will. So, where exactly is this course from? Um, and and how? When? When? When did when did they come to Taurus? How did they? How did they wind up in Taurus? We know how Iphigenia wound up in Taurus, um, which again is not particularly close to Greece. It's in the Crimea, right? Um, but Euripides never really makes it clear where the chorus comes from. Um, and he did not keep the best show Bibles. So frequently he has lines that contradict each other in his plays. I did not mention that. There's one part in Electra where Electra talks about, um, you know, her hair being completely shorn and then another spot talking about how she'll cut off her hair. It, 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 he, yeah, he did not. He's got contradictions throughout his plays. Um, but towards the end of the play, it seems as though Taurus perhaps um, was allied with Troy. And, and geographically, that sort of makes sense. You know, Troy's, Troy's over in what would be modern-day Turkey, right? Um, so it's closer to Crimea than than mainland Greece is, or, or any of the Aegean islands, um, the Cyclades. Um, so, so maybe the chorus was captured somehow as part of the Trojan War. Um, it, this does, it, and this does keep with Iphigenia stating that Thoas gave her the chorus to assist her. So if Iphigenia died before the Trojan War really started, um, it would make sense that the chorus then came to to Taurus later um, because they were captured in in the war that started after after Iphigenia's um, sacrifice. Um, but there's nothing that specifically tells us where they come from or it, how they wound up in Taurus. Um, I guess that's not unusual. A lot of choruses you don't you, you don't know exactly who they are. Um, but it is it is an imponderable. Uh, so what do you think about any of this? What do you think about Athena or Artemis as we see them in this play? Uh, even though I suppose we don't technically see Artemis, but she, it's a different Artemis than, than we've seen before. Um, is Iphigenia really alive? Who, who would you want to play? I'd want to play Iphigenia. I really would. It's a great, it's a great role. Uh, but who do you want to play? Come share your thoughts over on the blog. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read book 16 of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.